the band itself, you know, we're not trying to really preach. We're not trying to, you know, uh, we don't have, have an agenda, really. We're just trying to uh, make music we, you know, we are behind, music we enjoy, music we you know, want to listen to. Mm-hmm. And hopefully people want to listen to it, too. So We tell stories and, 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 and deep analogies and things like that. And, and uh, there's influence in there if you, if you dig deep. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Darkness to Light, hosted by Emily and Alan Middleton. We aim to explore what takes place at the corner of theology and geekology. Episode 15, Thaumatrope. Welcome to episode 15 of Darkness to Light. This is our show where we take a look at pop culture, in terms of where those stories intersect with concepts in religion, faith, theology, spirituality. And this episode, we will be looking at an album by one of our favorite bands, taking time to discuss each song individually. And yes, if you're a listener to our main podcast, Relatively Geeky, and are familiar with our buddies over at Two True Freaks, this format does seem awfully similar to their show, Long Play. Well, I haven't been invited on that show yet, so we will call this my practice run. (laughs) Uh, And if it's a dress rehearsal, it's not stealing. I like the way you think. And this band... This album is probably a little too obscure for those guys, so it's perfect for our show. We're looking at the 2015 album Thaumatrope by the Minnesota alt-folk band Mara in the Mainsail. And let me just say, on a religious program, on a Christian show, you want to be very careful how you say alt-folk. Just saying. Just saying. So... How did we find this little obscure band from the Upper Midwest? Well, like most things, it all starts at Cornerstone. In 2010, we got into the habit of taking our summer vacation at a music festival in Illinois. And, of course, that was originally the legendary Cornerstone, but since 2014, it has been Cornerstone's heir, Mm -hmm. I think. Heir heir to the throne. Audio feed. And And we've gone every even numbered year. Yes. So we are gearing up to do that again this year. I got my ticket reservations. <laughs> so excited. Which is definitely a plus because audio feed is three hours closer. So that's three hours less cornfield in order to get to the music. Yeah. Eastern Illinois is a lot different than Western Illinois. Because Western Illinois is pretty much Iowa. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that. We love you, Joe Crawford. So... <laughs> So these two fests, Cornerstone and Audio Feed, they do broadly fit under the category of Christian Music Fest, but they are unlike any of the other ones. And later in the year, since this is an even-numbered year, we will be going to Audio Feed, and we'll probably do an episode of this very show about that. And at that point, we can discuss exactly where that fits or misfits Yeah, I think in that's... the world of... Evangelical music fests. Well, post-evangelical wilderness. Yes, yes. So 
It's at a place like Audio Feed where you find bands who are not necessarily trying to make it as Christian musicians, TM. <laughs> but as musicians who are also Christians. So Mar in the Main Sale does play church-related events like Audio Feed, but mostly they play, you know, normal places. Yeah, clubs and theaters. Actual and... music venues. Yes. It's... Last summer we were very excited when... They started posting their prep to go play at South by Southwest. Yes, that was that was very exciting uh, until their van broke down on the way back from Texas. But social media being what it was. Oh, yeah, we, we, we chipped were... in uh, uh, some cash, some <laughs> spare that, change the, to... To the Indiegogo to get them back home. <laughs> and then we kick-started their most recent album, Bone Crown. But that is a discussion for another day. Maybe another episode, but we're talking about the 2015 album, uh, Thaumatrope. And even at that fest in 2014, when we first saw them, I don't remember exactly how we discovered them. I mean, there's lots of shows, lots of bands, and lots of tents. The nice thing about Cornerstone and Audio Feed is that Cornerstone in particular, because it was so large, almost like a small tent city. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you can sort of pick whatever your thing is and just camp out at that tent. Mm -hmm. So there is quiet tent, loud tent. Screamo tent. Screamo tent. Folk tent. Punk tent. And then next to the punk tent is weird tent. (laughs) And if you just go hang out in weird tent long enough, you'll get to see insomniac folklore. And what was that? Ska, Nate Somebody, spoon, something. There's an illogical spoon. Illogical spoon. Destroy Nate Allen and Must Build Jacuzzi. Three separate bands. (laughs) Must Build Jacuzzi is a fantastic ska band, and I do also highly recommend them. But after Must Build Jacuzzi, Mar in the Main Sale will play. Because they consist of top hat wearing fellows, corset wearing ladies, and accordion and 20 foot chain. Yeah, we were there in between bands, and they were setting up, and they needed an a, a tuba riser. They needed a tuba riser. That's when you know that the day is going to go from good to awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, so this was a band that, when we saw them play, had drums, guitar, tuba, accordion, and chains, or as they called it on the album, non-traditional percussion. Can include box, bucket, yep, just whatever detritus you have laying about the stage. So there was something about them getting set up that uh, intrigued us. And we said, ah, well, especially for me, these are my people. They weren't exactly doing the steampunk thing that is Insomniac Folklore, another band we've talked about here. They go whole hog into the steampunk aesthetic. These guys are close, but it's more just a post-Civil War... Um, Nigh-frontier, flintlock fantasy sort of vibe. Yeah, that's a little closer, but yes. So traditional instruments and a oddly non-traditional sound. After after seeing them play live, we had to get the album, (laughs) which we picked up from them. I think at that point that was the EP. Yeah. Or maybe even just one song download we had. I mean, we, we didn't have much at first. I think it was either a one or two song download. And then they, they may have said that they were working on the Kickstarter. 
I, I'm pretty somewhere sure somewhere we, we we signed up with an email at some point yeah. and got on the. I'm pretty sure we the... got home and within about a month yeah. we're like, okay, yeah, take our money, make an album, and then once it arrived in 2015, it proceeded to live in my car for about six months. I mean, it was hard to get it out of your cold, dead hands just so I could rip the songs and listen to them. Gave us an opportunity to drive around in your car a lot. That's true. That, that was that that. That did become the the default for a little while. Of we need to run out to the store. Uh, and, I'll oh. drive and we'll listen to Thaumatrope <laughs> okay, again. I like it. I like it. Well, let's start. Let's start with the name of the album, Thaumatrope. From Wikipedia, a Thaumatrope is a not a primary source. <laughs> Why? <laughs> this is not an academic Sorry. situation. From Wikipedia, a thaumatrope is an optical toy that was popular in the 19th century. A disc with a picture on each side is attached to two pieces of string. When the strings are twirled quickly between your fingers, the two pictures appear to blend into one due to the persistence of vision. Examples of common thaumatrope images are a bear tree on one side and leaves on the other, or a bird on one side and a cage on the other. And that is the vibe that they go for on the album cover. So one side of the album is a crow, the other side is an empty cage. And even on the inside of the album, uh, this is actually part of the CD as well, they have another thaumatrope set, which is a large tree. And then on the other side, down under the sea would be some sort of Cthulhu-based sort of yeah, tentacled it's... monster. So when you spin them, you get this idea of above the surface, a beautiful thriving tree, and below the surface, the... Uh, death and destruction and decay. The usual. <laughs> Tentacles of a, a, a kraken or squid-like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. kraken or, or squid is good because of the nautical nature of some of these some of these songs as well. And in terms of this particular album, the best that we can tell, the makeup of the band at the time was vocals and lead guitar by Austin Dury, vocals and accordion by Cassandra Sable, drums Alec Weber, alternative percussion, bam, chain, Austin Wilder, and bass Chris Knox. I did see somewhere, uh, I think it may have been on their website, that they described the album we used, Alt-Folk. They described it at one point as folkcore punk grass. Which I think is actually basically a perfect descriptor because they do use very traditional bluegrass instruments most of the time. A lot of folk and western Mm -hmm. instrumentation and rhythms. But one of the great things about the album is the lead singer's voice. And I, mm-hmm. I really want to mention this beforehand because we do not have time, once we start talking about each song, mm-hmm. to talk about how awesome his voice is. Because what he has is a metal voice. That he's, mm-hmm. got, he's got that intense, gravelly, screamy voice that could be so well-suited mm. to screamo, but he applies it to folk music. And that sort of contrast is mm-hmm. fascinating to listen to and i am very excited to talk about then, how evocative this whole album is and then to me one of the strengths of that 
and we've actually seen this in other bands uh, that we like as well, is that gritty, rough, male lead singer with the crystal clear, beautiful female co-lead or backing vocals. And again, that juxtaposition as well, when you throw in the somewhat unusual instrumentation sometimes, it just makes for a wonderful mishmash of sounds, I think. The first track on this album opens with a trumpet or French horn solo, Mm -hmm. which really does sort of establish that turn of the century feeling, which is just immediately shattered by that electric guitar as it just shreds into the almost classical Mm -hmm. folk feeling. Then as the two blend with the drums, it settles down into a perfect tone to set the rest of the album on. Then we get to the first, I'd say, real song, uh, The Traveling Man. And this song was also on the EP, because I remember having this song available to listen to before we had the full the full album. It, it sort of it sets the tone for some of the themes, because journeys, wandering, that is uh, a lot of thematically what the album is doing. Yeah, it is definitely a classic wanderlust song. And one of the more uniformly upbeat songs on this mm-hmm. whole album. It's really got sort of a an upbeat, almost westerny, like frontier feeling mm-hmm. of we're we're packing up and we're hitting the open road and there's opportunity. Good things are coming up ahead and it's still gonna be hard. It's still got lines about the bittersweet embrace of death and how you need to keep your eye on the horizon even though there's blood in your shoes and you've just got to keep going. And it's still hard, but there's something great waiting at the end of that road. Yeah, to me, that idea of the call of the open road. And in a lot of ways, this song does have a timeless American Mm -hmm. feel to it. This could be anywhere from the early 1700s to today that you said that wandered lust. But it's also the clearest love song on the album, at least to me. That's part of that upbeat, hopeful nature. Yeah. And, I mean, spoilers, the album is a journey. And if you're starting with the love song and the hope, um, have any of you read a Thomas Hardy novel? Anyway, that's all I'm saying. We start happy. That's maybe not a good thing. Uh, Considering (laughs) there's an arc to this, um, it doesn't bode great for our protagonist, who is almost naive about his expectations for the future. This song, it's carefree, has kind of a loose guitar, a rambling feel, lots of major chords. As long as you're with me, we won't be turning back. Now, something goes horribly wrong between tracks two and three. Now, you had an interesting notion that maybe a lot of time has passed. Because I just got, boy, things went bad fast. And maybe things went bad a little slower. This very much feels like if the first song was like 
fresh-faced, 19, young, dumb, and in love. This is 35, bitter, lonely, and tired. Let me put it in, in, in context that maybe some, some of our geekier listeners can understand. The Traveling Man, that is when you boot up the Oregon Trail video game for the first time. And this song, Your Ghost, is everyone in your camp has died of dysentery. This is where they announce, yeah, things are going to get rough. Yeah, the horns are back with a vengeance. And they are deep, whether it's a tuba or French horn or whatever it is on this. It is low and it is ominous. It's the the number one feeling from, I would say almost this song till the end of the album is heaviness. Mm-hmm. You can feel a weight with this music, a lot of it from those brass uh, instruments in the background, which when you combine that with this almost frantic pace as the lead singer and and the backup singer sort of do a call and response back and forth between his vocalization, which is just low and dark growling and growling, yeah, and very, it, it does feel almost and, animalistic. And this clear, again, almost angelic backing. And it just, it, it does just reek with with bitterness and like a a sort of sadness but mostly just anger just everything feels unfair i was a dove trapped in a cage and we've got this reference to like stage magicians and tricks Mm -hmm. and the way nothing in this album seems real everything's just a ploy Mm -hmm. this is just entertainment for somebody But I also like that one of the themes we come back to is the area of responsibility. I was a son, heir to the king, but seeing how I was as wicked as they come. Yes, and this is our first piece of information about our protagonist. Mm -hmm. Now, before I actually picked up the songbook, the actual lyrics for this thing, I thought, oh yeah, it's, you know, it's got a definite rhythm and there's a storyline sort of throughout, but we don't have a protagonist per se. This isn't like a Bob Dylan story album. Oh no, yeah, it, it is, absolutely actually. is. Uh, and this is our first piece of understanding our protagonist is that he's just this wicked, terrible son who had everything kind of handed to him on a silver plate and he has squandered it. I was a dagger thrown at your heart. I what was a great a, line. That's Let's pause on that for a second. I was a dagger thrown at your heart. I was a tombstone placed on your grave. I was a storm, vast and full of rage. So we start to get some of those allusions to storm and to sea and to cold. That one keeps coming back to me. To me, this is a this is a cold album. We talk about sort of the post-Civil War Industrial Revolution time frame, but we're not talking about the South. To me, this is like an upper Northwest. This is this is more the frontier, same time frame as post-Civil War. This isn't Reconstruction. This is yeah. the Dakotas. This is Oregon. This is Minnesota and Wisconsin. To me, this is cold and empty territory. And I thought that was an intense enough song. And then it clicked over to the next one. 
because this has one of the roughest opening lines of any song out there. This is Wendigo. I keep my pistol under my pillow in a rifle beside my bed. I don't keep it loaded for self-defense. Just one bullet for my own head. I keep them. Yikes. Uh, yeah. What did we just hear? That's well, a, that's as low as you can go. If the if the last song was anger, this one is self-loathing. And as the song goes on, it makes that reference to the Wendigo, to, to that that northern beast. We get in, start to get into the the imagery of the rage and the hunger, the sin that can't be controlled, the actions that can't be controlled, and he sees one way out. By the Wendigo. The imagery of a Wendigo is great in this particular context because some people might have known of them a little bit. They get rolled in with werewolves and vampires and things like that. It's some sort of creature of the night. But what they are in Algonquin legend is vengeful spirits that used to be human but are now consumed with an insatiable hunger for human flesh. Actually, what's most interesting to me about them is not just human flesh, but just to consume everything, Mm -hmm. to to take human life wantonly, just to destroy and, and ravage the land and the people and the animals. And it doesn't matter what it is, whatever it sees, it has to make part of itself but every time it consumes something, it grows larger and larger, so it is never full. To me, it's, you know, it's a this is a beast of northern U.S. plain states into Canada again. To me, to me, a Wendigo is a cold weather beast again. Mm-hmm. And so it, it it's hitting those notes as well. Yeah, it's a. You are totally right. In the dead of winter, in times of famine, that it just it just wanders the land, screaming and trying to take any scrap of warmth that it can, but everything it takes just, it destroys. Like I said, it used to be human. Mm -hmm. The idea Mm -hmm. is that Mm -hmm. anyone could become a Wendigo, is that once you stop caring for your fellow man, once you only care about yourself, that all that matters is your own survival. If that means you have to live off of human flesh or steal from your neighbor, or take what you don't need, that's when you start to become a Wendigo. Mm -hmm. Because all you care about is collecting and consuming and destroying with no thought for anything else. It can, especially in this case, really be a metaphor for any sort of vice where you need to have someone, you need to have someone sexually, or you need a drug, or you need money. You can't live without whatever this thing is, and it absolutely dominates and controls your life, that you are like a puppet to this thing. It doesn't matter what you want, you are completely controlled and consumed by this thing. In, in the midst of, a, of addiction, there is that complete loss of the ability to control this thing. This thing is in control of you. Like so, like a puppeteer, marionette. That's some of the language in this in this song. 
to me, this is where we start to get some spiritual things. Uh, you know, to me, this is a fallen man or sinful nature that sin inside of us, leading us to impulse that we that we can't control. Again, he uses the word hunger a lot, but so that could be that could be greed, that could be lust, that could be just the, the desire to accumulate. That that hunger could manifest in in a number of ways. I think of the Apostle Paul in Romans talks about the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do is what I do. This conflict between wanting versus doing, uh, conflict of, of something else inside of you uh, in control. Uh, powerful, powerful stuff. And from this, the tempo is going to speed back up we're going to get a little bit more of an upbeat, but still very, very cold song. <laughs> this is still a Minnesota band, and they do play some Minnesota music. So next up is Northern Born. I was born in the north, but my blood runs red like the west. Got a sickness in my we have more travel, more discouragement more about blood, the, the more state snow. of one's body, one's soul, one's heart. I know I'm dying and trying to get back home. There's blood on the snow, but there's no way to know if it's mine. This one really has a sense of being hunted, which when you take it going from when to go into this one, he might be the hunter, he might be the hunted. Because he says that you can hear the howl of the wolves mm-hmm. out there. And it's got the drums come back up, the horns come back up, and it does sort of have a fox hunt feeling mm-hmm. where it's getting kind mm-hmm. of frantic. I want to talk here a little bit about the protagonist again. Mm-hmm. So in Traveling Man, we had him saying, pack your bags, grab your tickets. We're off on an adventure. We're maybe off on an adventure, but we're definitely getting out of here and Mm -hmm. never turning back. Uh, Now we've had some time. Your ghost has happened. He's bitter. He's angry. And then here after Wendigo, he has looked into the depths of his own depravity and is horrified by what he sees. And the only thing he can do again is run. But this time he's desperate to get home. Like he doesn't know how. He doesn't know if he can. He just knows he's got to get up and he's got to run. And again, to give a parallel to traveling man, there's blood in your shoes, but you just got to keep walking. Got to keep walking to get to the big city, to get to the frontier, to a new land where you can get whatever opportunity that's waiting out west. Except you can in get that it. song, you were walking so hard that was your blood in your shoes. Here... I don't know whose blood is on me, but uh, but whatever it is, that's a that's a that's a different mindset. Whatever it is, it's not good. As and you I've, said, I've time has passed. Things, capital T, have happened. I wanted to talk here about what really does give this album its rhythm and mm-hmm. its through line. Now, each one of these songs individually work as their own story, but when you put them all together, it's a pretty good version of the faith journey Mm -hmm. in general but specifically the story of the prodigal son because you've got someone running away to just do whatever blowing this popsicle stand exactly 
And then in your ghost, we got an heir. So the, the wicked son who's run off to do his own thing and right now has just sort of hit rock bottom and realized, I messed up. I made a very, very bad decision and I have no idea how to get home. The Wendigo song, that's pretty much a rock bottom. A one bullet for my own head is a pretty much you're getting towards the... You've reached the precipice. Yes, um, you're going one way or the other. And so basically the rest of this is then the return journey. And it's not a straight shot. There's a lot of wandering before he's going to get back home. But he's at least sort of turned around and is trying to work that way. But I want to talk about Wendigo just a little bit more is in that song, all of his evil, all of the bad things that he has done are sort of pushed off onto this Wendigo. There is no Mm, self-acceptance in that song. That's, I have a beast inside of me and it did all these bad things. It made me do all of this. So right now he's trying to run away from that monster, but that monster is still inside of him. And he is, he is stuck with it and doesn't know how to get away. Here in Northern Born is I think maybe one of the two overt references to God, where he says, I know it won't be long until I meet the Lord, but I keep pressing on until I get back home. And as you said, that path to get back home is not, uh, is, is, is not an easy one. Follow the path in the mountainside. Look for the blood-stained snow. That's where you'll find me half alive. Listen for the howl of the wolves. And that juxtaposition of red blood and white snow. You've got your biblical imagery Mm -hmm. right there. But again, in this case, fully expecting to die. Yes. Because after the torment that he has felt in Wendigo, death would be a relief. Mm -hmm. Even even if at the end of it, he's going to the bad place. Yep. Then we do get a song that has a little change of pace. For one thing, it's Cassandra who starts off singing lead. And there's some lightness to it somehow. It's, a, sort of, it's almost a nonchalant song. But don't be fooled. It is another intense one because to me this is this is the confession song Mm -hmm. there are a few moments along the way that i think some sacraments are referenced and i think here is it clearly this is this is the song of of confession that song of world weariness i mean it's i've got secrets and i ain't keeping them anymore that's the gist of this song see no evil It really is, it's sort of a slower and contemplative piece, but it's filled with this almost sense of malaise, like he's he's almost complacent. And what this feels like very much to me is the laying in the snow making peace before you die. Where like, well, I've done a lot of stuff wrong and there's nothing I can do about it at this point, I'll just lay here and die. But this is a big step from a couple songs ago. This is a big change from Wendigo. Because this is, I've been the problem all along. And, darling, I was wrong. That's a pretty important realization for this, for this fella halfway through the album. Yeah, if Wendigo was looking into the pit and then just running from the mm-hmm. darkness, this is sort of really 
the dark night of the soul, I'm going to sit quietly with myself and take a good hard look at my choices and realize that I have done everything wrong. This is all my fault and I'm too far gone to save. Mm-hmm. Now, he's still got a ways to go, but that's an important step. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, Wendigo is my favorite track mm-hmm. off of this album. But this next song is easily my second favorite. Mm, Graveyard. In the graveyard grove near the ground. And of course we get a song that takes place in a graveyard on this album. And by the way, this is not the last we will hear of graveyards on this album. Absolutely not. This one strikes me as a perfect song for sitting around telling ghost stories by the campfire. It doesn't build as quite as much to the story yet, mm-hmm. but it does have just some beautiful ethereal vocals mm-hmm. and acoustic guitar. Yeah, to me, this up. is a beautifully played song. Absolutely. What I love about this in the lyrics is this: we have an, the other reference to God, and it's in terms of God rest you troubled soul. Except that's not that's not enough. That's not troubled enough. It's God rest you troubled troubled soul. I'm, We're I, getting closer. Uh, he's done a lot though. He's done a lot. But this song speaks to God rest your troubled, troubled, troubled soul. <laughs> and to me, there's just something of a realization in that. But you do get a glimpse of maybe a sense of hope. Mm-hmm. In in this one, there there is the obviously the rest in peace aspect of this, but not just in the death sense. That maybe maybe there's a glimpse of hope in life as well. As far as the sort of the flow of the album, to me this feels of the last couple of songs. The protagonist has been dying in the wilderness, <laughs> and that now with graveyard, he's sort of he's on his feet gotten his bearings and might be slowly making his way back towards civilization. At which point we get the next track, Holy Water, which might be the most ironically named song of all time. Because this one is the suffering fallen world song. This is the evils of humanity song. In terms of the sound of the album, the production aspect of the album, all of the songs up to this point certainly have fallen into a traditional folk planes type of feel with the occasional rock riff a little bit or a a guitar part but this one has very weird vocalizing on it there's a piece of equipment use some some sort of sonic thing with his voice in the song and it definitely jumps out at being this is different and that modulation on his mm-hmm. voice, that whatever that effect is, really gives a surreal sort of dirge-like mm-hmm. feel to this whole song. It's got that driving, almost hypnotic beat. 
and whatever that effect is on his voice, it, it makes it feel mechanical. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this in earlier songs, that the rest of the album is much more frontier, western, mm-hmm. not so much industrial revolution. This is you've gotten back <laughs> right. to the industrial civilization and taken a good, hard look at the misery and the squalor and the human suffering around you and realized, okay, we have gone very far astray Mm. and no one here can help me. This is what I thought I was coming back to, that if I could just make it back here, everything would be okay. I was, I was so wrong. I was so wrong. This is very bad and I need to get out immediately. And here we get the idea of it's just tough to change your own destiny on your own, not just personally, but he's getting a little bit of a bigger picture to society or to humanity. And as you said, he got that different vocal technique. And at some point, I'd think on a lot of albums, you know, when they were recording this one, a buddy of a guy in the band had this cool little instrument that you could put on or the producer had, let's, that, you know, let's just try this on a song. But as carefully produced and thought out as these songs are, I think there is something about, as, as you're getting at, the use of that different technique, the use of some technology to make this song stand out from the rest, I doubt was accidental. Yeah. When you listen to those lyrics, it is cruel how relentless this song is and the, the version of humanity that you mm-hmm. see in these lyrics of just being beaten down, ripped apart, ground into the earth, lied to, betrayed, deceived, crushed, burned, blinded. And we get the idea of the overwhelming debt. Yes. The debt that is owed is starts to hit here, and that's a theme that, that runs throughout the rest. Earning my keep, paying the due I owe. No matter what, that, again, that you can't avoid the the consequences of your actions is, is what this the, this debt is but there's some beautiful language here i chipped my teeth on that fruit you stole you heard the words that the serpent spoke we were deceived to believe the lies he told and now we pay the penalty yes and that that feeling that the debt owed is original sin mm-hmm. and no matter what you do you will not pay that back. And to me, that that's almost the clearest statement of systematic theology on the whole album. I agree. That, that this song has a lot of that stuff in it. Mm-hmm. But you pointed out, this is ripped from the pages of Genesis, the start of the story, and the next verse rolls into the end of the story. Yes, this song is, again, unique on this album because it is just three stanzas no chorus, no bridge. Mm-hmm. That adds to the relentless feel of it. It's like, when is this going to break? When is something new going to happen? Answer never. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for a song, it's when's the chorus going to happen for crying out loud? But it's it just rolls on like a freight train. Yeah, and so that first verse, which I, I really do think is part of that production, really establishes the modernity mm-hmm. and having that technology. That it, it that is the modern fallen world. That is the the world we have. We go back to the past, and then for the third section to the future, where you see all the signs that scream that the end is near, 
and see a man dressed in white and a world that knows no fear. And all of the man-made kings raised up and given every little thing, and then we wonder why they ever sinned. In this one, we move a little bit from the personal to the societal mm -hmm. to the bigger picture before zeroing back in. But that is part of, you know, part of a personal revelation can be, this is the mess we're all in, and I'm a part of that. Mm -hmm. So there are aspects of Holy Water as a song that stands out in the sense of it doesn't fit, but as you said, as part of the whole, it it does have a home on this album. Mm -hmm. And it's a very useful contrast to then take this systematic societal look at sin and evil before just diving right back down mm -hmm. into the individual and the personal with the enigmatic and thought-provoking and terrifying willow tree. Walk me down to the willow tree where the leaves don't sway in the quiet breeze. Walk me down to where you hit the bodies. Like we said with Wendigo, that opens with like the roughest song opening ever. This one may have one of the greatest lines I've run across. I've killed so many men. They named a graveyard after me. Hokey smoke. And so in retrospect, graveyard does fit into the story of this. You just don't realize Willow Tree is sort of the thesis song buried here, nine tracks in, where you see, ah, this is what this guy has done. This is this is going to fill in all that stuff in that 10-year gap between tracks two and three. And, a lot has happened. And in this song, it's not that we turn from dark to light necessarily it's not hope and joy but i think we've turned from dark to at least again the possibility of hope is there but again we said maybe we start to get an idea of what exactly this guy has to repent of yes and it's a lot of stuff and the great thing about this album in general and this song sort of as an example of that is that on any other album that was like, let's take a look at the Christian life, or even mm -hmm. like, let's do a Pilgrim's Progress, mm -hmm. something like that as a concept. Or even a general redemption story. There would be a song that is the redemption mm -hmm. song. The turning. And I just want to point out that we have had six songs <laughs> on this album of conversion songs, mm -hmm. because first was, I am evil, then I need to repent, then I can't repent, then... I might be able to live like this. I definitely can't live like this. And finally, I need to take responsibility for my actions and I need to accept the things that I have done in the past and then I need to walk away from them very, very fast. Accept, yes, but this journey to home or this journey to hope runs straight through the center of hell. Yes. Now... So when we talked about it's not necessarily a straight line, but it's a weirdly jaunty and triumphant song also? Yeah, considering that you literally walk down to the Sea of Flame where the rich and greedy hide their shame, walking down past the burning fires of thieves, butchers, priests, and liars... Because in the end, their souls all burn 
the same. He's going to hell on the sixth song of the journey home. There's a lot of truth in that. Yeah. Is is what's amazing. Mm-hmm. Redemption is a gift. But I think that a lot of people in the Protestant evangelical mm-hmm. thought process and worldview get really hung up on the concept of solo fide Mm -hmm. and that you cannot be saved through deeds and don't also acknowledge that yes redemption is free but that's not the same as saying it's easy Mm -hmm. there is still work involved or that conversion is a process and that's what i've loved about these six or seven songs is working through that process it's not a switch that you flip. It mm-hmm. is a large percentage of the journey, and that journey is going to mm-hmm. take you to hard, difficult places. In this case, like straight up through Dante's Inferno. But this song does have the first, not just hint of triumph, this does have the triumph. Yes. This is Walk Me Down Past the Coast of Coal, Past the Howling Hounds to the Thorny Throne. With shaky hands and trembling knees, it's hard to even speak. Look the devil in the eye and say, Sir, I'm afraid my soul has been redeemed. Wow. And there's just some beautiful language in here. I love the phrase, saints and sailors. All agree. Because the normal phrase would be saints and sinners. But somehow in this guy's world, sinner and sailor. Synonyms? Are synonyms. So, but I'm the worst that's ever been. With heavy sins, both new and old, I'm here to pay the do I owe. Mm -hmm. Walk me down past the willow tree, which I want to talk about that image a little bit Mm -hmm. because we've come all the way here to the end. But the image of the willow tree and the gallows imagery Mm -hmm. can't You can't avoid the crucifixion metaphors here about the trees and the hanging and the... Yes. This is such a weirdly jaunty song for having such depth. But again, there is that that hope. There's, it, it really is a victory song. And I think of this as the analogy in, in Luke, where we have two men who, who are in debt, and the one with the greatest debt is the one who's the most joyous, the most thankful. So the... The victory aspect, and you can't avoid that in the way that he's vocalizing that part about standing up to Satan and saying, no, sir, not today. Look the devil in the eye and say, sir, I'm afraid myself has been redeemed. You know, that's the idea of this person who's been forgiven of so much that they are going to be the more grateful. They are going to be the more joyous. So the joy seems out of place in this song, but it's not. And certainly the first time I heard this song, I didn't just think of the Hunger Games. I'm not the only person, right? You oh, thought no, of the, no. the hanging tree? I mean, that's... That's what we're talking about. Uh, yes. That same thing, gallows and Mm -hmm. lynching and crucifixion, just all sort of muddled up together 
execution and redemption and death and payment and undeserved relief all wound up together in one. And then we get to my favorite song on the album. We've talked about your favorite songs. Uh, Willow Tree is very close. But this one, Clockmaker, tying in sea and ships and water and spirituality, to me, this is a great song. And this right here is sort of what the whole album has been building to, really. Mm -hmm. This is the big, the big finale. Here is sort of where all of our concepts are sort of thrown into their final sharp relief, a big one throughout this whole album being fate and free will. Mm -hmm. Even though it is such a kind of light song, there's just such a feeling of being trapped mm -hmm. that is expressed throughout the first half. And really, if we're going to bring it all the way back to the thaumatrope, mm -hmm. right. it's that illusion of being trapped in a cage because throughout this whole thing, throughout this whole thing, our protagonist has been stuck and mired and just trapped in these horrible situations in this and then in the end looking back and going that was it <laughs> there's a lot of deistic imagery here okay. of of the clocks and and the clockmaker and everything being preordained and just going it's wound around. up and it's just clicking off every second the gears are turning there's nothing you can do to stop it that really does, I think, a pretty good job of expressing the fate-free-will divide, but the, mm -hmm. the illusion of feeling so trapped throughout all these things. Mm. And then... But you're not really in the cage. You're not really in the cage. You just have to say, well, no, I'm done. I'm done. And it's over. We've got some beautiful language in here in terms of the metaphor of the ship. We've got, my tongue is the rudder, I am the ship, my heart is the mainsail, tattered and ripped. And amidst these, the storms and the raging seas, and after trying to find his own way out of this mess with his own sailing ability, he just tosses the anchor overboard. And it, it holds true the end of the storm and the start of my faith. You know, that, that's the testimony song. For the wind to subside The end of this storm The start of my faith The start of my faith And to tie it at this point back to two earlier songs on track two, said the end that he would never lose his faith. Now here we are at the end of track ten, finding the start of his faith that he thought he was like, "I've got this. Right. I'll never wander off." And now here at the end, he's like, okay, "I did not know what faith was until this moment, until I was tested, until I had to recognize the depths of my own depra depravity." Now I know what it is to have faith in something. And also, in track three, in Your Ghost, mm. he was the storm. 
I was a oh, storm right. and a hurricane, mm-hmm. and I'm powerful, and I'm, I'm all of these things, and no one can stop me. And now here at last the storm can finally pass, and he can be at peace. Mm-hmm. Not just the rest in peace of the graveyard. That other peace, which was hinted at there as well. Mm. And again, this one, Clockmaker, is also, again, another really beautiful song and a chance for Cassandra again to share the lead. And you know, with her, just again, with that, that crystal clear mm-hmm. voice that I think is piercing the storm uh, as well, to me, very beautifully produced and, and instrumentated. Mm. I'm going with that as a word. Song as well. Yeah, it's subdued and quiet that beautiful accordion accompaniment throughout that it does it does feel somewhat sad but also mm-hmm. peaceful that there is at last this sort of sense of acceptance mm-hmm. and originally mm-hmm. this was the final song on the album and you can certainly see how it would be and maybe traditionally that would be that is the climax mm-hmm. but there is a denouement it, there is the uh, these last two songs I believe were originally intended to be the other way flipped. around and they they flipped them so that now the final song of the album is not Clockmaker but instead your work isn't done there's a hole in the hole and you can see on a basic level why the two songs go together. More ship analogy. <laughs> There's more hope, more victory again. But again, there is sadness here again. There's pain. There's lost love in here, right? Absolutely. I think that this works much better than if it had been mm-hmm. the other way around because here at the start of Your Work Isn't Done, there's a hole in the hull of my boat. Like, okay, yeah, we survived, but... There's, there's still, still life. Work. There's still life to live. There's still, as the song says. There's, there's clearly, still, there's still work to be done. There's still things that need healing. Mm-hmm. There are things that need fixed. He still probably doesn't know where he is. Mm-hmm. Basically, this song gives us the end of Act One, mm. but there's not a true resolution, and right. I think that makes the the story and the album stronger. As a result, because if it had ended uh, on Clockmaker, there would have been sort of a sense of finality. Right. And here it's more like, well, congratulations. You made it through to the start of the journey where you're like, oh, I finally made it. And it's like, yeah, welcome to the starting line. Go. We discussed that language we use that, that could speak of addiction. And this may be equivalent of the first couple of steps mm-hmm. of your 12 steps this is maybe through about step two and a half yeah. is where you are or this is like you've gotten clean congratulations but now you've got the rest of your life to yeah, live exactly. so mm-hmm. you're not done mm-hmm. and in a sense it never ends again just a, another very intense vocal performance like you said I've only really thought about it this way but this is a hard rock singer in a different setting but bringing that hard rock intensity to it there are some powerful notes 
in this that would be not out of place in the middle of a, a power metal solo. <laughs> and I like this this feeling that here at the end that the journey isn't over. There mm-hmm. are ongoing challenges. There's internal struggles that we, we finally find out in this song what happened to the lost love. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be working through some of that. Mm-hmm. My knuckles still bleed. From blows I've dealt in my darkest dreams to the man who stole her away from me. He's still dealing with that anger. He's still dealing with that hurt and that loss. And then there's external struggles. Because yes, the storm has passed and you are no longer in active risk of being crushed. However, there's an army of wicked men right over there. Mm -hmm. And they're coming for you. So, load your gun. Glad you've still got it. There's work to do. Yeah, you've gotten a reprieve. Death has declared your work here isn't done. And there's a yet. Yeah. Isn't done yet. We've had that imagery of death so often. And here it's just, it's put off a little bit longer. But with this, with this sense of having accomplished something. What did they say? It's isn't just, it's not the ending, it's not even the beginning of the end, but it may be the end of the beginning. That, that may be where we're at here. I really liked their performance when we saw them. I liked that first song that we got, Traveling Man. I really liked this album. Having sat with this really for a couple of months, we've decided to do this. This album has been on the list. So we've gone through it, I've thought... Uh, but just this last week and prepping, knowing that this was coming, really getting to know what's going on in this album, it is it is terrific. And you say this last week, I do just want to pull back the curtain a little bit. We were supposed to record this two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And then the more we sat with it, the more we texted each other and said, so I'm not, not ready yet. No, I have, I have got to go through this again. Give me three more days. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to need four more days. Okay, another week. Two weeks? Was it last night that you sort of had the prodigal son breakthrough? Uh, yeah. Last night at about 11 p.m. I was like, oh, I've got it. <laughs> By Jove, I've got it. And and that was the moment I was like, oh, this this makes total sense. Because throughout the whole thing, we were like, well, it's not. Because it's a journey, but it's. But it's not. It's not Pilgrim's Progress. Right. There's too many backslidings and sideways and zigzags and wanderings. It's It's not a straight run through of Dante's Inferno. It's not a straight run through of the the sacraments. Like, what is it? Then once once I got that, it's like, oh no, it's the prodigal son. It's all of us. It's that cycle of wandering and returning and wandering and returning that is the faith journey. And that is your own personal mm-hmm. quest of revelation that each one of us goes through. That's what this is. And it's, we said, it's that dark night of the soul. It's the deconstruction, reconstruction. It's, it's all of those elements. I think that's why an album like this isn't mainstream, evangelical, Christian radio station fair. There's a lot more there than simple answers that are sometimes what, in three minutes and 15 seconds, you're supposed to put on a quote-unquote religious Christian album. Yeah. It ends with more questions than it starts with. It answers some. But all of those answers are messy. Yes. 
and they lead to more questions. It's a fantastic album, thoughtful, deep, and insightful, made by thoughtful, deep, and insightful people. The more interviews that I watch of these guys and the more I listen to their music and look at the sort of stuff that they're talking about, the more in love with the concept of their band and with this album in, mm-hmm. prote- like in particular, I just fall more and more in love with them. Now, one of the things we mentioned was that there's a, they've done a second album. I don't know about you. I have not listened to a song of that. Have you? I have. Okay. Because I have not because I knew this was on the agenda. Done with the Thaumatrope, I can dive into Bone Crown. I listened to it four months ago. Okay. Because, as soon um, as we got it from the Kickstarter? Well, because I, I started working on our Spotify account. Uh, the Darkness to Light Spotify? It's, it's coming. It's going to happen. <laughs> And that was the very first thing I did was uh, follow Mara because they need all the help they can get. There you go. I mean, this is DIY. Self-made, <laughs> underground, me, me, offbeat and, Christian music. As you can get. But absolutely do go check out their music on Spotify. Check out their band camp and we, website and all We that will stuff. have links to all of those things on our webpage for this episode. We'll say again the band's name, Mara which is M-A-R-A-H, in in the mainsail. And it is marainthemainsail.com. But again, we'll have links to that, to the band camp. YouTube has the official video for Wendigo. Yes, it's the only one of their songs to have an official video. Also do check out their YouTube. They were featured on NPR's Tiny Desk a few Mm -hmm. times. Links to all of that and more will be at the blog post for this episode. Let's take a break here, play a little more Mara in the Mainsail from a live concert from the new album. Who knows what we'll play. And when we come back, a little bit of listener feedback. we're back we have awesome listeners who regularly send us awesome feedback so it's time to go through that big old bag of emails faxes and notes we start out with a piece of general feedback not exclusively darkness to light but mostly for this show so we're going to talk about it here this one comes from robert ludwig hi professor allen oh and emily oh Oh, good start good start okay first Hail Doom! Okay, you know, you really should be reading this on Quarterbin. Hey, now that that's out of the way, I just wanted to send a quick note. I want to let you know how much I enjoy your shows. I think the Quarterbin podcasts are my favorite, but I really like them all. I have tried to get my wife to listen to your Dorkness Delight episode about the Reformation trip, but there have been complications. It came out when she was in the hospital, getting treatment for AML, a type of leukemia. The good news... So right now, she's cancer-free in complete remission. Oh, absolutely. Very good. But many hopes and prayers are still needed. This could come back within the next two years based on certain traits of her particular brand of leukemia. This is for her doctor. Anyway, she was raised Lutheran, 
and I thought she might enjoy the episode. She has gotten almost through the comic book part of the trip. Robert, you don't have to start at the beginning. You can always you, skip you, ahead. You can jump 30 minutes ahead. No one's, no, no one's going to know. However, now she's able to go back to teaching part-time, high school English teacher, so finding the time will be tough. Beyond that, though, I just wanted to say thank you for the hours of enjoyment I get from you and your shows and the responses I sometimes get from the professor on Twitter. I have even started to try to find all ages comics I can leave behind at the dentists and doctors to give away to the younger kids, thanks to you. That is one of the tricks I talk about on the Comics Reading Journal. So please keep up the good fun with the comics, and if you're ever in central Iowa, let me know. Thank you, Robert Ludwig. We have a lot of listeners in Iowa. Yeah. I think per capita, if you do like number of listeners per state population, because I know we have, a, I can identify at least three listeners. I know there are like seven people who live there. That's a pretty high percentage. Yeah, I think we're doing a pretty good job. So thank you very much for the encouraging notes, and our thoughts and prayers are with you and your yes, wife. Yes, thank you. We've also had some comments from the blog and on Twitter left by the one and only Dave McIlvaney. He says, I must also comment on your Twitter, where you recently posted a piece from the Babylon Bee about local church offers introvert service where nobody has to talk to anyone. I normally attend what's called the Quiet Mass at 6.30 a.m., which there is no singing, and the congregants tend to spread out a bit. So I thought that piece was pretty funny (laughs) and shared it on my Facebook page. From there, it was seen by one of the hosts of the Holy Roman Fanboys podcast, which, first of all, how are we not listening to that? (laughs) That show, which also looks at geekdom from a particularly Roman Catholic perspective, and that article inspired a long discussion of 10 or 15 minutes of their recent episode, so your influence extends farther than you may know. You know, Christian podcasting really is a very... It's a small community, but the problem is that we are all like 25 internet miles from each other. So there, I'm always finding new weird Christian podcasts just scattered exactly. all over the interweb. Exactly. Like none of us know each other. That's the weird part. <laughs> While we're giving shout outs to other podcasts, I would mention one that I've seen on facebook for a little while and i've just started listening to it's by bex becky and her show is the redeemed otaku podcast looking at anime and other aspects of japanese pop culture again from a christian perspective so i knew we weren't alone when we were doing this i just didn't know how many other other weirdos there were now that's the thing is we all think that we are the weirdo and then you look off in the distance, and you're like, oh, friend. Hello, Hello. friend. Hello, friend. <laughs> I had my, my internet streams totally crossed going through my deep dive of every show that a McElroy has ever been on. Oh, that was crazy. Travis McElroy was on a show called, what was it, Good Christian Fun? Talking about McGee and me, which first of all was a show I was 90% sure that I created <laughs> on like some sort of cold medicine-fueled like day trip. But they were talking about being raised in the Baptist church in West Virginia. And I'm like, this is... Okay, first of all, how did I not know that good Christian fun existed? And second of all, how is there like two degrees of Travis McElroy? At one point in the future, Superbook 
and Flying House yes. will be discussed on this show. That will happen. That we can promise. <laughs> but back to Dave McIlvaney. He said, I must tell you that I laughed out loud when I heard you refer to my wife as, uh-oh, this, this sentence can be bad. Oh, no. Oh, Mrs. Hulkar. Okay, good. She's quite emphatically not of the geek tribe, but of the long-suffering, eye-rolling spouse of the geek tribe. So I don't think she would be fond of that particular name. Well, you know, Mom has just slowly accepted that she's Mrs. Quarterbin, or even worse, Mrs. Professor. Yeah. So, so uh, give it time. <laughs> give it time. And the McIlvaney sent us a lovely Christmas card. So we will attempt to uh, to treat the Dave and more, more importantly Mrs. McIlvaney. Yes, with appropriate respect. Did you almost call her Mrs. Dave? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> now we also stole a meme from his Facebook page. <laughs> okay, yes. And put it on our blog for Christmas. A theology pun, which are the best kinds of puns, of Saint Nick saying. Ho, 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 Moosius. To which Dave replied, just don't say ho, ho, homo e, Oosius. That's how you get a punch and a lump. And the theology fans are rolling over with laughter on that one. All four of them. <laughs> we also heard from a Dutch feedbacker on that post, Jan Roman Pikula. I apologize. Who said that in the Netherlands, we celebrate Sinterklaas, that's what we call St. Nicholas over here, every December 5th. One of our national holidays, but we have Christmas as well. So two holidays in one month. They are living right. Man, oh man. Now, Dave McIlvaney, again, leads off our comments from Lucky Episode 13 on Justice League Dark. I'm only marginally familiar with John Constantine, and I've never gotten hooked on the character. But I was very interested in your discussion. I was particularly intrigued by the fate of Jason Blood. And I've always said the key to a good podcast is if you can listen to it without being 100% familiar with the topic being discussed. And yes, the Jason Blood parts were pretty freaking great in that particular film. On episode 14, the Scooby-Doo team-up episode, he again leads us off with a fun episode for Halloween. Thank you both. I must say I thoroughly enjoyed M's Scooby Specter-Doo voice. Scooby Specter-Doo. I haven't seen the Scooby-Doo team-up books, but I'll have to check them out. Being careful not to pick up Scooby Apocalypse <laughs> on accident. Thank you for an entertaining show. I will say he also commented that he was disappointed that we skipped over his feedback. On that episode, but I think we've made up for it with this episode. Yeah, okay? we, we bank them. <laughs> we also heard from our old buddy Nathaniel Wayne from the Council of Geeks on that Scooby-Doo team-up episode. He says, I have to say, if there was one show I never expected to hear about Scooby-Doo on, it would have been this one. But hey, it turned out to be a pretty fun conversation, and I'm not sure what you could have done to out-deep the discussion yeah. of Over the Garden Wall, so maybe Light and Goofy was the way to go. <laughs> I haven't really kept tabs on the Mystery Machine kids over the years, and honestly, was a little too young to really get into the show anyway, because at the time of my cartoon watching, it was one of those old shows mm. that just kind mm -hmm. of turned up from time to time. 
I mean, even my daughter knows Scooby-Doo, and reading Scooby stories and having to do Shaggy's voice really does a number on your throat, it needs to be said. (laughs) Now, this kind of practice of taking a more or less serious set of characters and going uncharacteristically goofy with them is something I've seen go wrong more often than right. See my recent trauma of watching the Batman and Harley Quinn animated film, which is the latest example of this not working. (laughs) I am, I am so sorry. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people talk about that film. I have not heard anyone say anything positive about it. I think it's from that movie that there is a clip that has Harley in the backseat of the Batmobile and batman and nightwing Mm. in the front and that's a pretty funny scene for a grand total of like 45 seconds and has it been memed at least some so have have oh yeah it's great so so we've gotten that out of it at least yeah but like (laughs) it's one of those uh some of its parts is less yeah sort of situation nathaniel says when you mash up two different universes like this you basically have to decide which one is setting the rules Mm -hmm. so just establishing this is the dc heroes playing in scooby-doo world rather than the other way around is enough to get me on board which makes the whole it's a dream thing kind of infuriating to me because i don't think it was in any way necessary to justify the tone or the goofiness i mean the book is called scooby-doo team up one would think anybody picking that up would roll with the silliness it's over-explaining that comes across as a lack of faith in the audience, and it just irks me, because I feel like it pulls back the curtain on how little the writers, mm. or more likely the editors, think of the audience and yeah. their intelligence. Yeah, I, yeah. Get, I get that. I get that. Now, having done my buzzkill stuff right up at the front, I shall now ramble more calmly. <laughs> I keep meaning to do a breakdown on the main categories of ghost rules in various pop culture depictions of spirits. Let me just say, if you ever write jumping, this document up, like... Jumping off point for a full episode. At, at me. At me on this one. I would be very interested. He does give us a little bit of this here. He says, uh, I'm just rough sketching this in my head now, but there's the ghost who's a mere echo of the person they used to be. He mentions Crimson Peak or The Haunting, in which case the ghosts are usually built around a single emotion, usually sadness or pain. There's ghosts that are pretty much the whole person, but they're unable to move on, the Frighteners or the Sixth Sense uh, rules, in which case there's usually some unfinished business to be dealt with. Then there's ghosts, quote-unquote, that arguably are either not ghosts at all or otherwise unrecognizable as having once been humans and are generally just malevolent forces, Ghostbuster or Poltergeist. What do you think of that general quick breakdown? I can see that. I can (laughs) see that. One being sort of an echo of a person, a person or a monster. I can Mm -hmm. roll with that. Or that uh, unfinished business. We see Mm -hmm. that one a lot. Or, as he said, I like the things that are called ghosts that maybe be something else, actually. I like that one as well. Nathaniel says that while he admits to being more familiar with Marvel, which I don't think deals with quite the same volume of spectral characters, it seems like DC largely fits into that middle category, with the ghosts being pretty tangible and representing pretty complete versions of who the person was in life. And of the characters I'm aware of, I think they're pretty consistent in that depiction, with the major deviation being the specter, but that gets into a divine angle as well, so he's allowed to be kind of his own thing. Yeah, the, See episode two. Yeah, the specter pretty much gets a pass on everything at all times. <laughs> I think that's enough. 
especially since I have even less of an overall point than usual this time. Reekly roars, where annual rain, where the roundsmill well reeks. Horrifying. Speaking of which, our old buddy Gene Hendricks of the Hammer Strikes podcast and blog also wrote in on that episode. Guys, why? Where wrestler ran Remoy, Ray really right for our rook, my Roby Roo. In the rated broadcast. Okay, enough of that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, dude. Thank you. It was you. Gene who said, okay, enough of that. Though, we would have also said, okay, enough of that. Ooh, you, you know what we need? Scooby Doo Bizarro team up. Oh, Scooby Doo Bizarro Zatanna team up. Oh, God. Do that voice. I dare you. I dare you. The most unreadable <laughs> comic ever published. It's backwards and opposite and, and scooby oh. <laughs> oh, my brain is already melting. But as Gene points out. There's a reason Scooby doesn't do soliloquies. <laughs> he says, I've been meaning to check out Scooby-Doo team up for a while now, but alas, laziness has mm-hmm. won out. It seems right up our family's alley, though. I have a huge knowledge one of these days that I will pick up the trades and we will read (laughs) all of them. Yes. If nothing else, I need to support the Comics for Kids stuff Mm -hmm, that's out there. Definitely. Though Kira is currently on a manga kick, heck, she even found some in her school library. Yes. That is a cool school (laughs) librarian, let me tell you. Thank you, Gene. And that is our last bit of feedback. Thanks, everybody, for that. We really appreciate it. Now, in terms of future episodes, right now we've got kind of a pattern Mm -hmm. of involved long-form episodes. Next one is going to be pretty long, too. Yes. uh, We have another commentary on the horizon of a feature-length movie. And this is why we were like, okay, well, we have to do the feedback now because we Mm -hmm. might not be able to do feedback until uh, Christmas. (laughs) A long time from now. So... After this run of long episodes, we might be trying a few mini episodes. This and was those might be solo with either one of us, perhaps, depending. Yeah, and that was a thing we talked about when we were originally pitching this show, was that maybe you or I would hop on with 5, 10, 20 minutes talking about whatever. Mm-hmm. So we might have a few of those coming up of just you or I have been like, hey, do you want to talk about this? And the other person's like, well, not really, or... I don't have much to say about it, or I don't really have a, or it's a, a no- topic. It's enough for 15 minutes sort of thing. Yeah. So we, we might try to pepper in some of those as the year rolls on, but we'll see. But thank you very much for listening through this one. Once again, please do check out Mara in the main sale. Listen to Thaumatrope, their new album, Bone Crown. If you enjoy this sort of dark folk aesthetic, Mm-hmm. Support an indie band doing great work. Links to everything will be in the blog post for the episode. So again, thanks everyone for listening. And may the Force be with you. And also with you. While you're waiting for the next podcast episode, check out our websites. DarknessToLight.blogspot.com contains reviews, essays, and other similar ramblings and dorkdistolight.tumblr.com, which contains some of that material, as well as top tens, cool photographs, memes, and religious puns. We also run a general interest comic book podcast network, Relatively Geeky. 
That content can be found at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or by searching iTunes for Relatively Geeky. Let us know what you think of this topic, this episode, or this podcast in general. Feel free to send your thoughts to us at dorknesstolight at gmail.com. We would also appreciate any ratings or reviews left for the podcast in the iTunes store to help like-minded people find us. Our intro, outro, and promo music is by Anderson Kale. Check them out at andersonkale.com or search iTunes to purchase their music. Thanks for listening.